Welcome to the Flat of Baptist Church podcast. This is part three of our series, The Purpose of Church. What does it take to become the kind of people God wants us to be? Worship, learning God's word, praying, doing ministry as a team, all these are important. But what about friends? Are you investing in the friendships that you need? Here's Pastor Scott Roberson for part three, entitled Strategic Friendship. We're winding up uh, a short series on the purpose of church, looking at a few of the, the main priorities that God has for his churches. And, you know, you and I might have all kinds of ideas what we think churches should be like, what churches should be doing. But really, uh, it's, it's what God thinks churches should be like. It's what God thinks churches should be doing that, that counts. You know, we, we, might, we might get church right as far as maybe what certain people think. But if we get church wrong as far as God thinks, then, then we've, we've missed it. We've, we've failed. And if we get church wrong as far as what maybe people think, and we get it right as far as what God thinks, then we've succeeded. So we really need to know what God's priorities for his churches are. And that's why we're looking at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, because this is one place in the Bible, this is not the only place, but this is one place where God's main priorities for his followers are laid out for us so that we can know what churches are supposed to be about, what they're supposed to be accomplishing. So let's take a look. Uh, There's a note sheet in your folder, or you can follow along on the screen, or you can grab a Bible if you brought one, or or, uh, there's one in the rack in front of you. Page numbers are listed on the note sheet. Let's take a look. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning at verse 19. All right? Let's listen now to the teaching of God. That's what God wants to say to us. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, that means into the very presence of God, by the blood of Jesus, his death on the cross, that's the only reason we have the ability to enter into God's presence. By a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, that's another reference to Jesus, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day, the day of Christ's return, the day of judgment as you see that return approaching. So we're looking at three priorities. Priority number one is worship. Let us draw near 
to God. Priority number two, partnership. Let us draw near. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Let us spur one another on toward love and good deeds. All of these good things that God wants us to do, he wants us to do together. And so the church is like a team. Church is, is our team. And now we come to priority number three. And this priority is the priority of friendship. Just like with partnership, this is woven throughout the whole passage with this little word, us. And then it's especially emphasized in verses 24 and 25, which we'll look at together here in a minute. What's the difference between partnership and friendship? Well, I'd say it like this. Partnership is focusing on, on us helping each other do the things God wants us to do. So we partnership, working together as a team to do the things God wants us to do. Friendship focuses on us helping each other become what God wants us to become. And now we're talking about the change that God wants to work in our lives, to transform us, to make us like his son, Jesus. Think about this, this uh, becoming idea, that, that we're all to be becoming something that we're not right now. Now, when we first become a believer in Jesus, when that glorious thing happens to us, and and I, I think probably most of you here are there. You're, you, you've come to that place of putting your trust in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today and you haven't. And my prayer for you, my plea with you would be to think about this and to ask God about this and to, to consider this because this is absolutely, utterly crucial for every one of us to become believers in Jesus. When, when we come to that place, when we come to the place of realizing that Jesus is our only hope of ever being right with God, he's our only hope, when we put our trust in him as the only sufficient payment for our sin, that realizing there's nothing we can do to make ourselves right with God, but Jesus alone is the one who can do that for us. And we, we ask him to forgive us, we put our trust in him, we receive him into our lives we ask him for his free gift of eternal life. We want him to lead our lives. When we say yes to Jesus, there are amazing changes that happen to us right away, right now. It's, it's awesome. The Bible says that when we put our trust in Christ, we actually pass from death to life. It says that we move from being separated from God to being connected to God. It says we move from being considered God's enemies to becoming his children. It's just phenomenal. He immediately forgives us utterly, completely, totally. He, he adopts us into his family. And it says he, in, he comes and indwells our lives with his Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13, look at it. You also, he's talking to people who didn't used to be followers of Christ, but they now are, they're now believers. 
you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth. This is how it happens. You hear the message, God's message, the truth about his son, Jesus Christ, the gospel of your salvation, and then having believed, you respond with belief, with trust. You, you rely on what you've heard. You rely on Christ. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. I'd really encourage you to just take some time and, and read through the whole first chapter of Ephesians there and just read about all the things that God does, all the things that happen when we first put our trust in Christ. It's awesome. All right. Now, having said that, and without taking anything away from that, the fact is that when we become Christians, we don't instantly become everything that God wants us to be. And if you've been a Christian longer than a couple of days, you know this by experience. You know this. We know there is still a lot about us that just needs to change. And we might get really frustrated. And we might get really discouraged that we are not yet the person. Do you ever find yourself thinking, I, I thought I was better than that. I thought I was beyond this, and I'm not. But you know, that's exactly what we should expect. That is exactly what we should expect. We need to remember something. We need to remember how the Bible describes what happens to people when they become believers in Jesus. How does the Bible describe that? It describes it as a spiritual birth. Okay, Jesus said, he said, you've got to be born again in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. You've got to experience a birth. 1 Peter 1.3, look at it. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay, birth is an event. And it's an amazing event. But it's not the end. It's just the beginning. I mean, if babies are healthy, they what? They grow. They don't, they don't remain babies, even if their mommies want them to remain little babies. And nobody really does, really, because you don't want to be changing diapers forever. But healthy babies grow, and they become something greater. And that is exactly what the Bible says needs to happen to every one of us spiritually. We need to grow. We need to become all that God wants us to become. 1 Peter 2.2, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. We need to grow up. And it's not a matter of how old you are. It has nothing to do with your physical age. It has to do with us becoming what God wants us to become in our character, and, and who we are, becoming the people he wants us to be. Okay, well, right here in, in Hebrews 10, we see the kind of people God wants us to become, the kind of people he wants us to grow into. And what does he want us to become? Well, it says he wants us to become sincere worshipers. See that? Drawing near to God with a sincere heart. Do you always do that? Is that how you are? Hey, yeah, sometimes I, I draw near to God. Man, I'm sincere. I'm, 
I'm into it, I'm, I'm loving it, I'm, I'm all about God, and then other times, not so much. And I'm, you know, kind of faking it. Can I say that? <laughs> I'm just kind of going through the motions. My heart's not into it. And I'm not, I'm not a sincere worshiper of God. Well, that's what God wants me to become. That's what God wants you to become, a sincere worshiper. It says he wants us uh, to become people who are full of hope, who hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. So hopeful people, hanging on to that hope that Jesus Christ is real, and he's our Savior, and he's our Lord, and he's coming again, and he's going to make right every wrong, and he's going to transform us, and that's our hope. And we ought to every day be holding on to that hope without wavering, full of hope. Is that how you are every day? Yeah, some days. Other days, I kind of waver. Or he wants us to be people who, he wants us to become people who help others do love and good deeds. You see that? It doesn't say become people who do love and good deeds. It says become people who spur others on to love and good deeds. Now, obviously, that means we've got to do love and good deeds too. But it's not just about us doing it. It's about helping others do love and good deeds. He wants us to be those kind of people. Are you that kind of person? You every day just think, man, I can't wait to, to get into somebody else's life and help them become what God wants them to become. Or he wants us to become people who encourage one another. Do you go through the day just encouraging others all around you, just being a, a source of encouragement? Or do sometimes, you know discouraging words pass your lips. You don't have to tell me. I know. <laughs> me too. We're not there yet, are we? Okay, so we've got to become the kind of people God wants us to become. Okay, here's the key question. How do we do that? How do we become the kind of people God wants us to become? Well, it should be obvious that we need relationships to do this. You can see it here, can't you? I mean, it's all through here. We need relationships to be the kind of people that God wants us to be. Let us, let us, let us. Encouraging one another, spurring one another. Relationships. Okay, the question is, what kind of relationships do we need? Because there are different kinds of relationships, aren't there? I mean, you know, there's the people who, if you know their name, you're doing good. And then there's the people who, you know better. You know something about who they are and what their situation is. And then there's the people you really know. Say so different levels of relationships. Okay, well, what kind of relationships do we need to become the people God wants us to become? It's pretty clear when you read this that casual acquaintances are not enough. It's not that there's anything wrong with having casual acquaintances, but, but they're not going to get us to where we need to go. We need something more. Okay, here's how I'm going to say it. To become the people God wants us to become, we need close friends who are Christians who connect with us regularly. Close friends who are Christians who connect with us regularly. Now, what I want to do is I want to kind of break that statement down and explain it and show how it flows out of this passage, especially verses 24 and 25. All right, first, we need close friends. 
Now, let me say this. I'm not saying we need to be close friends with everybody in the church. That's not even possible. Okay, we just can't get to know everybody at that level. Everybody needs close friends, but not everybody can be close friends with everybody. You know, on the first day of the first church in Jerusalem, they added 3,000 people. There's no way you can be close friends with 3,000 people. I don't care what it says on Facebook. <laughs> you just cannot do it. All right? You can't even be close friends with 150 people, 200 people. It's going to have to be something smaller. Okay, but we need close friends. Now, I want to show you how close friendship is emphasized here. Notice verse 24 where it says, let us consider. Now, normally, I do not make a big deal about what the original Greek text says. You won't hear me do that very often at all because the reason for that is this. If you're using a decent English translation, you already pretty much know what the Greek text says. That's the whole purpose of a good translation, to tell you what it says. So you read along and it says, oh, let us draw near to God. I wonder what that means in the original Greek. I'll tell you what it means. It means let us draw near to God. <laughs> That's the point of translation. Okay? But, but sometimes, like here, there's a place where there's something in the original that's hard to bring across into English. That's because no two languages are completely interchangeable. All right? The word consider here. We're going to consider the word consider for a minute. <laughs> consider is used one other time in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 3, verse 1, where it says, consider Jesus. Or, as, it, as the NIV puts it, fix your thoughts on Jesus. In other words, consider Jesus means this. It means think about Jesus. Look at Jesus. We were singing earlier. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. Okay, where are you going to see him? Well, the Bible tells us we see him in each other's love when we're truly loving the way God wants us to love, and we see him in Scripture. That's why this is here. Look at him. Fix your attention on him. Study him. Give him your close attention. Look at him. Think about him. That's what it means to consider Jesus. All right, now we come to 1024. We have the same kind of sentence, only here what it literally says is, consider one another. Consider one another. But you can't really translate it that way because then it makes the rest of the sentence so awkward it's lousy English. And you end up with something like this. Let us consider one another unto the spurring of love and good deeds. It's great Greek. It's not good English. But here's the point, okay? Catch this. What we're supposed to consider is one another. Which means we need to think about one another. We need to focus on one another. We need to fix our thoughts on one another. We need to give careful, close attention to one another. We need to make it our goal to get to know some people so well that we are able to spur them on to do what is loving and good. We need to get to know them at a level that we can actually help them become what God wants them to become. That's what it's saying. And that's not surface knowledge. Okay? 
That, that's not just shooting the breeze with the guys about sports and the weather. That's not just chatting with your girlfriends about the kids and what's on sale at Kohl's. <laughs> this is dealing with the stuff that's inside of us. Like what motivates us? Motivation. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. That's, that's motivation. That's inside us. Or, or whether or not we have hope. How do you know if someone's got hope? you got to know what's going on inside them, whether they're holding unswervingly to the hope that God has for us, whether or not our worship is sincere. Whether, what, what is it that encourages us? See, this is inside stuff, and you're not going to know this about most people. Most people are not going to know that about you. What this means is we've got to have some one another's that we consider carefully. Because let's be real about this. Okay, let's be real. There are some things about us that we're only going to share with people we really trust. That's just the way it is. And we learn to trust people over time. That's what I mean by close friends. People with whom we can trust who we really are. People who know our deepest fears and deepest joys. People to whom we give permission to ask us the hard questions. And people to whom we give permission to give us a swift kick in the rear end when we need it. Who is that in your life? Who is that? Think about that. Do you have some people in your life like that? Okay? We need close friends. Second, we need close friends who are Christians. And when I use that word Christian, I mean it as this book defines it. I do not mean it as our culture defines it. Okay, where, oh, you're a Christian if you grew up in a Christian home or you go to church or, or you're not a Muslim, a Buddhist, or a Hindu. You're a Christian. No. We're talking about entering into a meaningful, significant, genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, experiencing that spiritual birth I was talking about earlier. That's what I mean by Christian. You see, the kind of friendship we're talking about here that helps us become the kind of people God wants us to become this only works with people who share the same ultimate priorities. I mean, we're talking about worshiping God together. We're talking about sharing the same hope. We're talking about pursuing love and good deeds. Okay, who's going to define love and good deeds? There's a lot of definitions of, of love out there. Whose definition of love are we working on? Well, God's. Love as God defines it. Good deeds as God defines them. In other words, these friendships need to be genuinely Christian if they're going to help us become what God wants us to become. Because we need a common commitment to Jesus Christ as the only Savior, as the only Lord, as the greatest treasure of our lives. So we're not talking about just being friends with people who you think maybe go to church. Okay, this is something different. If you are a believer, then you need to have significant friendships with other believers in Jesus. 
Now, it's good to have relationships with people who don't yet believe in Jesus. Absolutely, that's important. You know, because we, we need to love these people. And we need to share Christ with them. You know, uh, look, at the, look how the Apostle Paul felt about his fellow Jews who had not yet put their trust in Jesus as Messiah. Look, Romans 10.1, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. And he loved these people. He, his heart just was, was gripped by their need, and, and he related to them. We need to relate to people who aren't believers in Jesus, but there are limits to this. Because people who don't know Christ will never have the same priorities as people who do. Okay, That's not saying anything derogatory about them. It's just the way it is. And this is why 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Okay? If you don't know what a yoke is, you know what a yoke is? Yokes don't get used a lot these days. But yoke, a piece of farming equipment used to harness two farm animals, oxen, together so that they can plow together. And what it does is it forces them to go in exactly the same direction. They're both going in the same direction together. Okay, so when it says don't be yoked together with unbelievers, what that means is don't be so connected to unbelievers that you're going in the same direction they are, with the same priorities and the same values. It's not being judgmental. It's just realizing that you can't get to where you need to go if you're going together with somebody who's going in the other direction. You just won't get there. So people who are not following Jesus are not able to help us become what we need to become. We need close friends who are Christians. And then let's add the third thing. God wants us to have close friends who are Christians who connect with us regularly. Verse 25. Verse 25 tells us how to do verse 24. Okay, look at 24. Let us consider one another so we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Actually, that's not such a bad translation right there. Let us consider one another so we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Now, how do we do that? Verse 25. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, or let us encourage one another. Actually, it really says, spur one another on to love good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. It's explaining how we do 24. In other words, if we're going to help each other become the people God wants us to become, we've got to get together. We've got to connect regularly and encourage one another. How many of you feel like you need encouragement? Where do we get it? We get it from each other with some friends, close friends who are Christians, and we encourage one another. It's really interesting that this verse tells us not to give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. 
It's a bad habit to not get together like this. For some reason, it's a temptation to us to fall into the habit of not getting together with other Christians with whom we are developing close friendships. And why do you suppose that is? Why do you think that is? There could be a lot of reasons. I think one of them could be laziness. Because you know what? It's a lot easier not to work on relationships than it is to work on them. It really is. You know, and you, if you're married, you've been married more than a couple of days. Well, this, this relationship could use some work. Well, I, it's a lot easier not to work at it. Why? Because if we work at it, that means I'm going to have to change. And probably somebody else is going to have to change too. We're both going to have to change. Something's going to have to change here, and it's just a lot easier not to do that. Pass me the remote. Don't be elbowing each other. I, I, okay. Or it may not be laziness. It might be fear or embarrassment. I don't really want people, I don't want anybody to know what I'm really like. I don't want them to know how, how I really am, how I'm really doing, how, how messed up I really am. Could be fear, could be embarrassment, could be pride. I don't need anybody's help to become what God wants me to be. I don't need that. I don't need somebody to get inside my head. I don't need anybody to hold me accountable. I don't need anybody to spur me, thank you very much, to love and good deeds. Do I look like a horse? Don't answer that. I'm doing just fine without connecting with anybody. I'm doing just fine without anybody uh, spurring me on and encouraging me. I can, I can do it by myself. And if that's how you think, let me just ask you a very simple question. Really? Really? You can do it. You can become what God wants you to be by yourself. Because that's not what God says. That's not what he says. Instead of the habit of not getting together, we need the opposite habit. We need the habit of getting together with some Christians who regularly encourage us and challenge us, spur us on to love and good deeds. Now, the meeting we're talking about here in verse 25 is probably not talking about gathering together for worship. That's probably not what's in view here. Because you really can't get to know people at the level of close friendship in a big worship gathering. And if you go back and read in the book of Acts from the first church, it said that they would meet in the temple, worship, and then they would meet from house to house. It's cool. Because, see, the worship tends to be a big group thing. I think it should be a big group thing. And big groups do some things very well. Big groups are great for, for gathering, and our focus is on God and worshiping Him. It's great as a place for welcoming new people and helping them get to know who we are and get to know who God is. Big groups do that very well, okay? But big groups don't do close friendships very well. 
because you need a small group, a group that's small enough so you can get to know each other at a deeper level as you learn to trust each other. And that's why, as a church, our strategy includes three different size groups. Large group for worship, mid-sized group for welcoming guests, and helping them begin to get involved and begin to get to know us. And, and for studying God's word together. And for becoming a team that does ministry together. So mid-sized groups, like Bible Explorer groups or, or ministry teams. And then small groups for developing friendships that help us become what God wants us to become. See, we don't try to do small group stuff in the big group. That's why we don't expect you to know everybody around you when you worship. You don't need to. You just have to have a common aim to come together to want to know God better or to learn about God, to worship God. I've done that in groups of 50,000 guys where I only knew 0.01% of the people who were there. It works great. It's not a problem. And that's why we don't expect you to, wherever you happen to be sitting, to turn to your neighbor and share him your big struggle of the week. Okay, that's small group stuff. That's not big group stuff. And we don't want to do big group stuff in the small group, like continually welcoming new people into our small group. What does that do? See, we're only going to really get to know each other as we learn to trust each other, and you can only get to know or, or trust people as you get to know them. And if you keep having new people coming in all the time, every time somebody new comes in, what happens? Back to square one, because now I don't know everybody. We've got to start over. So, listen, if we need close friends who are Christians who connect with us regularly, then we need to be part of a small group. Not just a worship service, not just a Bible Explorer group, okay? Because if our Bible Explorer groups become small groups, then they don't do a good job of welcoming new people. Not just worship, not just Bible Explorer group, but a, a small group of one another's that we can consider. Now, I might sound here like I'm promoting a program. It's a funny thing about preaching. Sometimes it feels like what you're doing is trying to convince people to do stuff they don't want to do. And if you're a skeptic, I am. If you're a skeptic, you might be thinking, he just wants the church's small group program to succeed. They got sign-ups out in the foyer, and he wants everybody to sign up so that we can, he can feel all successful as a pastor. You know, it really isn't an issue to me whether you sign up for one of those groups or you start your own. It would be nice if you'd let us know about your group so we can know who's in it and, and, and that those people are, are involved in a small group and getting to know each other and trusting each other. Okay, that's really not the point. Here's what I'm trying to do. Here's what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is why we have small groups. Because we need friends. We need friends to become the people God wants us to be. Don't you want that? Don't you want to become the person God wants you to be? Don't you want to go beyond where you are today? Okay, hear this carefully. There is no becoming what God wants us to become on our own. 
If I'm going to become the person God wants me to be, if you're going to become the person God wants you to be, then we must invest in significant friendships that help us become that. Okay? And if you're one of those people who just wants to hang back and let it happen, don't do that. Sign up. That's scary. I don't know. What's it going to be like? Just go. If you really don't like it, go to a different one. But you know what? Give it a chance. Give it. it takes time to develop relationships and friendships. Don't go once and say, that's it. We're going to have to work at it, people. We're going to have to invest it because it matters. It matters whether or not we become the people God wants us to be. Okay? Let's, let's pray about it. Father, how we need to believe that you have our best interests at heart. And then when you tell us to do things, it's not because you get a kick out of being in charge and you just want us to acknowledge your authority. But when you tell us to do things, you have our life and our joy and our peace and our contentment. You want us to be like your son, Jesus, Lord, and you created us to help each other become that. So, Lord, help us hear what you're telling us as good news, not as some burden that you want to just shackle our lives with. Father, help us embrace all that you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Fly Up Baptist Church podcast. For more resources, visit our website at philida.org.